0: here's what we're doing we're continuing this mystery this topic the mystery of life change Uh, this is the third installment of probably two more parts still haven't figured out how far we're going to go yet but here it is here's Mary Carr is a poet (laughs) Uh, after years of being a Christian she started reflecting on sanctification which is personal renewal it's the Christian life it's life change right She started reflecting on what it is, how it happens, what it looks like. Uh, How does it practically work itself out? What's her role? What's God's role? She just was thinking very, very deeply on this. And then she said, one day it all came together for her on a morning on the New York subway. Here's how it came together for her. She said she realized it was an aha moment. It just struck her. It was a breakthrough. She said, I realized I only want to kill some of the people here this morning instead of all of them like she used to every morning. So the mystery of life change is a fantastic mystery. Uh, it's lost and it's found. We think we get a handle on it and we don't. We pursue things that seem to say, ah, this is working and it, and it doesn't after a while. It is a profound mystery and that's what we're diving into. So as we move into Romans 8, let's stand for the hearing of God's word. You're reading
1: So, I come up here and have to do some uh, house cleaning first, and I must admit that I forgot to read through this passage this week, so the first words of this passage ring very true. From Romans 7 through 8 13. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So, Lord, we acknowledge that you are our strength. we've been looking at for three weeks oh lord would you open our eyes give understanding it helps explain us uh, give a vivid powerful personal breakthrough with the specific aspect of jesus and his salvation in this text uh, that reaches us that renews us that activates us and we ask this in jesus name amen Okay, y'all, so uh, where are we in the archaeological excavation of life change? Here's where we are. First, we dug up the zombie in Romans 6. Do you remember this? Two weeks ago. The Christian is no longer a zombie. In other words, the Christian is no longer physically alive but spiritually dead. The Christian is no longer one person with one nature whose nature is only night. The Christian is no longer living in the realm of the dead, living in the zombie apocalypse, if you will. The Christian is no longer enslaved to the dark powers of the sin, of the death, of the ultimate evil. When Jesus Jesus exited the tomb, he took you with him. You're no longer a zombie. The apocalypse is over for you. Do not miss this. This is epic, massive life change. To not be a zombie is a big deal. It's life changing. Life changing Christianity is not becoming something more, being something more. Life changing Christianity is being who you already are. It's being what Jesus has already done for you. It's no longer being a zombie and it's it's now being a new person, it's now being alive, it's now being a righteous person, it's now being a whole person, a complete person in someone else. This is the wonder of life change. This is the wonder of Romans 6. This was the wonder of the zombie Second thing we did was last week was we dug up the mystery of the split self in Romans 7, which is pretty controversial. I must say it is. Uh, but not to me. And not to everyone who came before the 1800s in the Second Great Awakening. It got really complicated in the Second Great Awakening. It got really complicated when these new notions of higher Christian living infiltrated the Christians speak in the Christian church and the Christian culture, and all of a sudden it got a little complicated. But historically, what I'm about to tell you or review to you right now is what's always been in the church. Yes, the Christian is no longer a zombie. Yes, a Christian has exited the tomb of Jesus. Yes, the Christian is a new self in Christ, but don't miss this. The zombie is attached to the Christian. Do you see the difference? The Christian is no longer a zombie. A Christian is someone that has the zombie attached to them. That's a big difference, but it's an important difference, and it's a significant difference. And so what this means is that the Christian is a conflicted self. The Christian is a divided self. The Christian is a split self. The Christian has Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in them at the same time. The Christian has the old self and the new self, the edemic self and the new creation in Christ, Together at the same time. In other words, a Christian is not no longer a zombie, which is one person with one nature. A Christian is one person with two natures. That's why you you feel like you go crazy if you're a Christian. That's why you feel like, as Paul says, gosh, I don't even understand. I don't understand what I'm like. I don't understand what I think and feel and do. Sometimes I think and feel and trust and do this Sometimes I think and I feel and I trust and I do that. If we fail to understand this, y'all, this is so important. If we fail to understand that you are a conflicted self, you will construct, you will build a Christian life around a super saint. You will build a Christian life around a continuous spiritual self on a march of continuous spiritual victory, which is spiritual insanity. It's Disney World. The person doesn't exist. And so you will be spiritually manic when you do well and spiritually depressed when you don't. you will look for all kinds of ways to activate this super saint in your life. Maybe you need to surrender more. Maybe you need to yield more. Maybe you need to be more devoted. Maybe you need to have more passion. Maybe you need to be more sincere. Maybe you need more devotion or commitment. Or maybe you need you know, some way to tap into the mysterious movements of the Holy Spirit, and here are 100 easy steps to do that. Or maybe it's just a matter of applying a biblical principle of your personal life, your relationships, your marriage. Maybe it's just a spiritual secret you haven't yet figured out. You need to gain knowledge. You need to do seven steps to deliverance. Something to activate the super saint that you know is there, but you just can't find them. This is pretty important before I move on, and that's why I'm reviewing It's pretty important. One person with one nature, the super saint, the continuous spiritual self, the self on an onward victory, that person only exists in heaven. It's called glory. The Bible calls it glorification. In glory, you will be one person with one nature. Glorified, You will finally and fully be yourself. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be, but now in a super, ultra, eternal kind of way. So life-changing Christianity is not the absence of struggling with sin. Life-changing Christianity is the presence of it. Life change in Christianity is struggling with sin for the first time and the millionth time. That's why Paul calls it a spiritual battle in Ephesians 6. That's why he says in Ephesians 4 to put off the old self, put on the new self. That's why there's this spirit, the person of God at war with the flesh, and the flesh, the old self... At war with the Spirit, this is the Christian life. Romans 7 explains you. Romans 7 reveals you to you. Romans 7 gives you the Christian life. Romans 7 gives you the mystery of life change. Romans 7 is spiritual reality. Romans 7 is spiritual sanity. In fact, everyone's favorite theologian. Who's your favorite theologian? If we were to say everyone's favorite theologian across all traditions, probably everybody would say at least... You know, five ten years ago, he's getting less and less known. But a guy named J. I. Packer, J. I. Packer said Romans seven saved his life. He said that he was anxious and exhausted from trying to be a super saint, and he was spiritually depressed because he kept failing and nothing worked. And in fact, he felt himself getting worse. And then through a guy named John Owen, an ancient dude, who was expositing, uncovering, excavating Romans 7 for him, he went, oh my word, of course. I'm not a super saint. I'm a conflicted saint, but I'll be a super saint one day. So how do you live, this is where we are today, how do you live this conflicted Christian life? How do you live it? Now, what we're about to look at is so unexpected. Paul's answer is so unexpected. It is absolutely going to blow your mind. It's absolutely, you're going to do, you know, this is what everybody does. It's going to do that to you. You are going to be like, I cannot believe that's it. I can't believe that this is the way you live the conflicted Christian life, that this is the way true life change goes. I can't believe it. But what I want you to see is that it's wrapped in the language of what we call today. In fact, Paul refers to whatever his answer is. We're going to look at it in a second. But whatever the answer is, this is what he calls it. Are you ready? It's going to hear language that you've heard about. But again, when you get to what it is, it's in the language that's normal. But when he says what it is, you're going to go, no way. Absolutely no way. Here it is. Are you ready? Walking in the Spirit. That's what he's going to call what we're going to look at. Verse 4, he's going to say what he's about to look at, that here is how you walk this split Christian life, this conflicted Christian life, he's going to say it's, it's walking in the Spirit. Okay, okay. And then he's going to say in verse 5, it's being in the Spirit. Your translation probably says living, but being is a better translation because it's literal. It means those who are functionally building their identity around the things of the Spirit. Functionally being, functionally learning to build their identity around the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit is what he's going to tell us in a minute. Also, those who are realizing more and more that they do not exist in the old self. That's what it means. Being, living. You no longer exist. You no longer live. You no longer, your identity is no longer in the old self. You are in a new self that's in Christ. That's what he's going to talk about. Paul's answer is so unexpected, but it's what he refers to as thinking, feeling, willing, the things of the Spirit in verse 5. And then he says this, if you get it, it's life and peace. Verse 6, this thing of the Spirit that he's about to tell you is life and peace for you. Functional, present, experiential, existential, life and peace. Pretty powerful, pretty significant. So in other words, Paul's answer to living the split Christian life is crucial to the Spirit-filled life that everybody talks about. Everybody talks about the spirit-filled life. Everybody talks about spiritual anointings. Everybody talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's about ready to tell you, this is what it means. This is what practical life change looks like. Every church person wants to know how to change, how to grow in sanctification, how to be better, become better. And he's about ready to say, here's the answer. Here's what it looks like. So are you ready for it? I'm not sure you are, really. I, I, I'm really not. Because it's going to feel like, is that it? It's, it's going to feel so unexpected. It's going to feel so not spirit-filled. It's going to feel so not spiritually electric. It's going to feel so not life-changing to you and me. Are you ready? Here it is. I'm just going to tell you. Build Build your messy life around no condemnation. Live an uncondemned life. That's walking in the Spirit. 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, how incredible is it that Paul's number one spiritual resource for you right now, for you this morning, for you when you're in the midst of marital adjustments, for you that struggle with parenting, for you that are in a difficult romantic relationship, for you that are having a hard time with a boss, For you that are doing pretty well. How phenomenal is that Paul's number one spiritual power for you. Paul's number one spiritual resource for you. For walking in the spirit. For being filled with the spirit. Is the gospel. An uncondemned life. What we might call. A justified life. Now, here's the catch. That's why we were reading 724. I wanted to put that in Paul's wretched man thing. If you have a messy life, in other words, you know what he means when he says wretched man than I am. If you have a messy life, you know living an uncondemned life is the hardest thing in the world to do. The holiest man who ever lived knew he had a messy life, 724. Wretched man that I am, present tense, again, present tense. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Living without condemnation is the hardest thing on the planet to do. And he's just talking about the Christian, the one who's no longer a zombie. This is why the greatest evil in the world today, the greatest act of injustice in the world today according to all the normal sources of authority like the media and like Hollywood and like education and like government and like, well, I think that's everything. But according to these folks, the greatest evil, the greatest act of injustice is someone experiencing low self-esteem. We're so desperate to live an uncondemned life This is why the award-winning song, Shallow, sung by Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, I absolutely love, our family loves, and A Star is Born, puts these words to music. In all the good times, I find myself longing for change, and in the bad times, I feel myself. We're desperate. We're desperate to live an uncondemned life. This is why when you feel criticism, you feel like it's the condemnation of your very being. You're desperate to live an uncondemned life. This is why we're so defensive and we're so sensitive and we're so self-protecting because we're so desperate to live an uncondemned life. This is why we have that deep sense—you know—that deep sense you have deep inside when you just kind of get aware of it enough, and then you, you know, quickly go to sports center. You have that deep sense of not being enough. You have that deep drive to be something more. We're desperate to live an uncondemned life. This is why Jonathan Haidt, a leading psychologist, just did this massive research project, it's now a book called The Righteous Mind. He says, an obsession with righteousness is the normal human condition. We're desperate to live an uncondemned life. This is why the great poet T.S. Eliot poetically penned, half the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. They don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them or they do not see it, or they justify it because they are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. We are desperate to live an uncondemned life. The Apostle Paul is telling you it's possible. You can live an uncondemned life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? How is that possible? How is it possible to live an uncondemned life? How is it possible? He's talking to a Christian. How is it possible for you to build your messy life around no condemnation? How is that possible? How does that work? How does that become real? How do you get that kind of life and peace? His first answer is this. I'm just going to tell you because it's kind of blunt. Give up trying to deal with condemnation on your own. Give it up. Give up trying to deal with it on your own. You can't. Look at verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Could not do. Could not do. The problem with condemnation—it is the problem with condemnation—is that, is that it is something we cannot undo. Condemnation is a hostile force greater than you. Condemnation is a dark power that is beyond your control. Condemnation is a factor of fear that swallows us up. This is why one theologian says, human nature is proven inadequate to the task of meeting condemnation under which it staggers to survive. Rather than controlling us, let alone elevating us, condemnation strangles us. So put away... What a guy named David Zoll in his new book, Seculosity, put away your preferred guilt management systems because you can't manage your guilt. Put away your dream of wholeness because condemnation is beyond you, it's beyond your control. When you're lying awake at night trying to feel better about yourself, when you're lying awake at night and you feel deep in your gut that you're not enough and you didn't do enough today, whether it's a relationship or it's your career, it's some achievement or some athletic thing or some talent, gift, and ability, whatever it is in your world, in your life, when you feel that drive that you need to be more, Paul says, give it up. Tell God, condemnation is beyond you. You say to God, oh God, condemnation is beyond me. The dream of wholeness is beyond my control. When you experience the pain of someone criticizing you, whether it's real or imagined, or you experience the pain of someone judging you, whether it's real or imagined, or when this one's not imagined, when someone says unkind and untrue things about you, give up trying to deal with the pain of condemnation on your own. You can't undo it. It's beyond you. Tell God, oh God, The powers of condemnation are beyond my control. The dream of wholeness is beyond me. For God has done what the flesh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How is it possible to live an uncondemned life? Second, exchange your condemnation for another's. This is so practical. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. The hardest thing in the world to do is in the midst of the swirling, hostile powers of condemnation. And usually they're present in your life because you feel the anxiety and the fear and the desperation and the exhaustion and the depression. Or this just insatiable drive to control your world. When that starts happening, what Paul is saying is, you can't undo it, give it up. It's too great for you It's beyond your control. That's the first thing. Recognize that. Realize that. Guess what? That's actually what he's talking about here. Thinking the things of the spirit. Instead of thinking the things of the flesh. Thinking the things of the flesh is this. Oh, I can manage it. And I'm going to go into my head and try to control this thing. And I'm going to try to willpower my feelings and my emotions. And I'm going to deal with condemnation of my own. The text is actually saying that's the way of thinking, feeling, trusting of the flesh. In other words, the old self. (laughs) Exchange your condemnation for another. Look at verse 3 again. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did he do this? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh. Why? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be finally, fully, forever fulfilled in you. Comprehensive, once for all time, it's over, it's done. And notice who he's talking to again. Christians. People struggling with life change. People that know, wretched man that I am. That's why he goes to one. Everybody's puzzled like, What does 8-1 have to do with it? Are we going back to 5? Are we going back to 6? Are we going back from 1 to 7? What we're doing is so logical. He just said, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Therefore, this is what the deliverance looks like for you, Christian. Therefore, this is what life change looks like. Therefore, he says, live an uncondemned life. There's no more for you. Work it into your thoughts. Beat it into your feelings trust it, breathe it, learn. In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, who don't walk around trying to deal with the problem of condemnation on their own. That's walking around in the flesh. Self-effort, self-reliance, self-justification. So here's what's happening. On the cross, this is unbelievable. On the cross... On the cross, God condemns himself by sending his son to be condemned. Now, this needs a little excavating, so let's dig it up just a tad. We need to dig that up a little bit. That's powerful. That's kind of gripping, and that's God condemns himself by By condemning his own son, that's breathtaking. What does that mean? And here we get some texture to it. Look, in the likeness of sinful flesh, do you see that in the text or your electronic device? In the likeness of sinful flesh. You know what that means? In the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means he came with a full participation, a total, complete identification with you. This is not a partial identification. This is total, comprehensive, complete identification with you. This means he became everything wrong with you. This means he became your sin. This means he became everything that that makes you feel like you're not enough, that drives you to be more than you are. This means everything that's shaming you right now, everything that's condemning you right now, Your adultery. Your divorce. Your addiction. Your obsession for control. Your mental instability. Your anger your lack of love for God, your lack of love for others, in fact, probably the opposite, your your hatred, your animosity towards others, towards God. He became, he totally identified with you, with everything that's wrong with you. And God condemned it in Jesus on the cross. There is now no more condemnation. He took every last drop of it. There is no random drop that spilled out or spills out onto you. It's over. It's absolutely over. You have been set free from having to deal with condemnation on your own. You have been set free from a hostile power you cannot control. You have been set free from having to prove yourself. You have been set free from having to fulfill the dream of making yourself whole because you can't. He does. Exchange your condemnation for his. Live. An uncondemned life. No condemnation is a new place to live. It's a new place of psychological healing. You know how this is possible? It's, this, is a, this is a whole new place to live, y'all. This is walking in the Spirit. This is a, a whole nother plane. This is actually learning, realizing that you no longer exist in the old adamic self, the old zombie self, the old collapsed self that's still attached to you. You no longer, your deepest identity is no longer this person. You are now living in someone else. His life, his death, his resurrection, his righteousness, his condemnation, his new resurrection life, yours. This is where we're living. And so what happens here is that you can reject the anxiety and the exhaustion and depression of the old self that's still attached to you. In other words, you still have attached to you an old self. Notice what the text is saying. The thinking, the feeling, that's that's your thoughts and your emotions, the thinking and the feeling, the willing, the trusting of the flesh is death. That's just the way it is. That's all he's going to do. When this person thinks, when this old self is thinking and feeling, it is nothing but death. Now, of course, it doesn't mean ultimate physical death, but it does ultimately lead to physical death. And certainly it doesn't mean ultimate eternal death. It means right now, present tense, the little deaths you experience in life, like the death of a marriage or the death of a relationship, the death of your status, the death of your self-image. How does does this new place heal heal you psychologically? Here's how. You can simply ignore the exhaustion, you can ignore the anxiety, you can ignore the desperation, you can ignore the, the depression of the old self. How? Because that's just what he does. That's just what she does. Oh yeah, that's what the old self does. Now, please hear me, I know there's other factors involved in depression, so I'm not saying that. I'm talking about a spiritual depression reality. But even if you have like physical depression, it's going to affect you internally. So this still applies. The old self, this is what it thinks. And all you do, according to this text, is you say and you reject, oh, that's just what he does. That's just what she does. Yep, that's the old self. You are no longer enslaved to it. You are no longer finding your identity over there. You are no longer living in this self you are in a new self. So you don't have to manage it anymore. In fact, when you try to manage it, you make it worse. For God has done what you could not do. Exchange your condemnation for another's condemnation right on the spot, right now. That's walking in the Spirit. You want to walk in the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit. Exchange your condemnation with another's. That's Walking in the Spirit. That's setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's saying, Romans 1 through 8, read it because it'll change your life. Reading 1 through 8 is walking in the Spirit. Reading chapters 1 through 8 and thinking and feeling and trusting, that's walking in the Spirit. No condemnation is a new place of personal freedom. You now have the freedom to forget yourself. This is walking in the Spirit. No condemnation is a new place of loving others. Accusation, condemnation, and judgment is no more for the way you relate to people. It's over. So we relate to people differently. That's why you and I can be merciful and gracious and serving and encouraging and bearing and overlooking because accusation and condemnation is no longer the place of relationships. It's gone, it's over. You don't have to like be hard and come after somebody to make them do something. That's called the law. You know the way people change in relationships? Is you love them to life again. You forgive them to life again. You serve them to life again. You bear with them to life again. You overlook with them to life again. You encourage and speak kindly to bring them back to life again. Accusation, condemnation has no place in relationships anymore. No condemnation is a new place of meaningful work and good works. How, Jeff? Well, here's how. When you live under condemnation, when you live trying to prove yourself, when you live trying to live for the dream to be whole and complete, your work and good works become ways to manage that. If you're successful, hooray. If you're not, oh no. And now what can happen because you no longer need to prove yourself, you're no longer establishing and driven to this dream of wholeness, you no longer live in a condemned life the fear factor always hovering over you in life, you know what happens? You now can enjoy your work and good works because they were made to be enjoyed for themselves and to bless other people. In other words, your good works aren't for God anymore. They're for others. You're free. You're free to just work because work is good and it's a gift and it blesses people and it blesses you, and you're free to whatever the good works are of being a human being that God lays out for us in the scriptures. This is walking in the spirit, y'all. This, this is the unspectacular, the normal, the ordinary Christian life. So build your messy life around no condemnation. Learn to do that. Reading Romans is a great place to start. Live an uncondemned life. If you do, you are walking in the Spirit.